What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby. And these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington. And I'm Barry Horn. Simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast, Ballsy. I am Kevin Sherrington. I am Barry Horn, and I'd like to personally thank you, Kevin, and you, David, for not bringing up when this starts that I picked the Cowboys to beat the Falcons this week in the Dallas Morning News. Yes, you did. Last week. Last week, yeah. yeah last week. You, you might pick them again this week. I don't know. I will not be picking the Cowboys to beat the Eagles. I don't, I don't think – is there anybody on this earth – no, not after that. Uh, not after that. So, so we have David Moore uh, here with us, and David, I, uh, you and I were talking about the fact that we had remarkably similar themes of about things we wrote yesterday. You know, it's bad enough uh, to see what happened on the field Sunday, but then to have the head coach Jason Garrett come out yesterday and say some of the things he did at the press conference was really disturbing. Before I think we should just say we're recording this Tuesday morning, so we're talking yes. about the day after yes. Monday. Yes. press conference when he had time to think about what happened what did he say you know i thought the most disturbing thing to me was when when uh he was asked did uh, did you ever come close to taking dak out of the game and he said weren't even close and then he was asked why and he says because we play 60 minutes and i thought that's a junior high coach's answer that 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 is that was a terrible terrible answer not to realize that with eight minutes left, you're down 20 points. You put up seven points in this game. Your quarterback's getting killed. Your, your only hope your going only hope. You're, forward. Your franchise Your franchise going forward without Zeke Elliott. You're already without Zeke Elliott. You're already without Tyron Smith. You're already without Sean Lee. Those are the best players on the team. And now you're going to take your the Mount, your Mount Rushmore is going to be out of here because you're trying to make a comeback in a game that you have no hope of winning at this point. And not just recognizing that and seeing it, and not only did it was that disturbing, disturbing, but it finally illuminated for me the problem with Jason Garrett, which is that he 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 prepares for something. This is what we're going to do, and then he is, and I think as as David characterized him, he's such a methodical thinker. He's a very bright guy. There's no question about that. But he's a very methodical thinker, and it's very difficult for him to make in-game corrections. Yeah, I think with I think that's exactly it. I think he's, uh, his strength as a coach during the week, you can argue, is his weakness as a coach during the game on Sunday. Uh, he puts a lot of time into preparation analysis. Uh, he puts a lot of faith into what the coaching staff puts together and all the time that his players have invested to execute that plan. And his his rationale is, look, we came up, we looked at this from all angles, we analyzed it. This is the best game plan for us to win this game. We did it in an unemotional setting. 
uh, it's logical. So this is what we're going to do. And if we get resistance in a game, we don't back off of it right away. We trust our preparation during the week. We trust uh, all of us, all of our group thinking and what went into this. So what you have is during a game when things unfold uh, rapidly, as they did with the deterioration of being able to protect Dak Prescott, uh, especially at left tackle, he is slow to react because his initial response is, okay, no, we did this all week. We thought this was the best thing to do it. You know, every everybody faces adversity. Let's just fight through this a little more. Let's just go through this, and then we'll work through this. And by the time he actually is forced to the realization that it's not working in a game and you have to do something else, it's usually too late to react at that point. Um, so it, I, I think he's proactive during the week, but he's almost reactive in games, and, and he's too late to, to pull the trigger and make any – meaningful adaptations within a game and 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 look i just don't think that's his thought process i don't think he looks at it that way but i tell you what going forward here you know another one of his in in addition to next man up is control what you can control which is what he tells the players all the time well what the coaching staff can control is to put players of lesser ability in positions when they replace a key player where they still have a chance to succeed and you do that with your strategic, with your personnel, and you do it with your uh, strategic plan in the game, your formation. And they need to do that with. Uh, there's a good chance Tyron Smith doesn't play again. They need to do that with the left tackle going in, and and Sean Lee's going to miss probably three games here. They need to make the adjustment in uh, at linebacker as well. What? Well, obviously, or look to me, Byron Bell is not the answer at left tackle. Who came in for Chaz Green, and, and there was no appreciable improvement at all. What can they do to to keep Dak healthy? Can can they move perhaps Zach Martin over to to left tackle, and then what do they do with guard? Certainly, they cannot go in again with the uh, Chaz Green Byron Bell double daily double at left tackle. Can they? Well, no. I think what you'll see is uh, you know Zach Martin and Lyle Collins both played left tackle in college. Uh, he said yesterday they don't envision doing that. Uh, keep in mind, if you do that, then you're changing two positions, and the uh, and the continuity in the offensive line is, is compromised a little bit more. Now suddenly your interior, which is still strong, uh, you have some question marks there. So the other part, though, Chaz Green, uh, when you play a game as monumentally bad as he did, there is no way for him or the team you can go back with him as a viable option the next game out. Uh, Jason Garrett's going to have to remove him from the situation and try to build his confidence back up before he puts him in games. He can't just throw him out there and say, okay, that was a bad game. We'll give you a little more help in this one. We believe in you. Uh, that's not going to happen. I think it's going to be Byron Bell. Uh, I think there's a good chance you're going to see him starting at left tackle uh, in this game. Now, what you do differently is, though, you recognize that while we said we know Chaz Green uh, doesn't play to the same level as Tyron Smith, and we're going to give him a little more help, we're going to have our back stay in and chip, we're going to have a, uh, a formation where the tight end lines up next to him to, to help him with that outside rush. Uh, you didn't see a lot of that in the Atlanta game. I think you have to go into this game going, you know what, 
we have Byron Bell, we're going to have to tilt all of our protection over there. We can't make the assumption that he doesn't need help on just about every play. We're going to need to make the assumption that he's going to need help more times than he doesn't. Okay, let's do our game plan. Let's tilt our help and protection over to that left side, and, and what can we come up with? I think that's what they're going to have to do going into this game. I don't think we uh, – if we look at the number of snaps that uh, that Byron Bell had at left tackle and the number that Chaz Green had, was the number I – mean, how, how many did uh, Bell end up giving up, one or two? I think two. Wasn't it two? I thought I thought it was Bell. Two. sacks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Two. So he had two sacks in far less time. I, I think at the rate he was giving up sacks was probably no better than what Chaz Green was giving up. Uh, and so that's one of my issues. Yeah, the ratio. Yeah, the ratio. He may have actually been ahead. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and and here's the thing um, that Adrian Claiborne, who ended up with six sacks in that game, uh, which uh, surpassed his season total. Uh, it, 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 he's he's no several gr- years of his career. Yeah, yeah. almost his career time. Uh, yeah. Not no great shakes as a defensive end. It's it's not like this was Reggie White coming around the corner, right? So, uh, no, so good, good solid guy, but nothing. I mean, this this, this bumps him up into Pro Bowl category with just one game. Yes, yes, it does. So so you have to ask yourself. So what does that mean going forward? It, they could. It almost seems to me like you're going to have to play a fullback. Uh, in the, in the, you're going to have to have a, a two-back backfield here just to make sure that the quarterback doesn't get killed, don't you? Well, and you know, if, if you if you notice, the, the best the Cowboys offense looked in that game, I thought, was to open the second half. And when they got that first possession of the third quarter after Atlanta scored on the first possession, uh, the, the running game finally got going. Alfred Morris got some big runs, which he didn't have. Uh, in that first half, they which, were moving which, the ball. David, which and way did he run? Which way did, did did Morris run? He ran right, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. He, he ran right, and he also ran behind a fullback right. in some of those plays. And they were also in their 21 personnel. They also had uh, extra line. They had another tight end out there as well. Right, they had three so, tight ends, yeah. Yeah. Or two, yeah. Uh, yes. So they went with three tight ends. They went with three tight ends. They went with a fullback. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they made enough, you know, that isn't, now that is an example of where Garrett and his coaching staff did adapt uh, coming out in the half, second half. It worked. They got down there, but then they had, you know, then they had the uh, uh, misfire and then they missed a field goal, a uh, short field goal, which uh, missed inside of 40 yards. Dan Bailey hasn't missed inside of 40 yards since he had one blocked in 2014. And the last time he actually was able to get a kick away and it just misfired. It, it, uh, it you know, strayed left or right was 2013. So we talked earlier about how they would miss Dan Bailey. You saw another example of it there because suddenly they answer Atlanta coming out and scoring in the second half. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if they set or settle for a field goal, there's still a sense that, okay, well, this is, this is only a seven-point game. They just responded, you know, game on. But it had a much different feel after that missed field goal and then uh, the continued domination of Atlanta's defense. Well, let me ask this. What's, I think it's gotten lost in the pity party we've had for the Cowboys uh, post-game and even during the game. <clears throat> Troy, when, Troy Aikman, when Troy Aikman says this, this is the worst game he's seen the Cowboys play, and, and when, when he says that the left tackle, no, he's never seen a worse game at left tackle, that's pretty bad. But let me ask you about another player who I think has gotten lost in this. Where, where was Des Bryant on Sunday? Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, this is the stage you, you have very 
this is a very efficient offense, but you, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is a top playmaker. You would assume Des Bryant should be second. Uh, he needs to step up, and you just haven't, from what you've seen this year, just if you looked at every game, if you stood back and looked at it and compared him to other receivers around the league, is he still an impact receiver? Is he a big play receiver, or is he a complementary piece in the offense? And he's basically being used in his production at this stage as, as a complementary piece in the offense. He's one of the better pieces in the offense, but I, it's not a guy that you can look to and go, okay, well, with Elliott out, uh, you know, if, if uh, Dak's going to have to throw five to eight more times a game, uh, that means Bryant's going to get three to four more catches and he should be over 100 yards every game. He hasn't had a 100-yard game yet this year. You know, I will say that, too, and probably in defense, I hate to defend Chaz Green at this point. Chaz Green? Uh, but but, but De, uh, Dak is not getting the ball out quickly. and, and that's You're defending the, Des Bryant, right, or Chaz well, Green? Well, I'm, I'm not defending Des Bryant at all. It's a, these guys aren't getting open. I mean, you, when, when Dak goes back and he's looking out there, you know, when this kind of stuff happens and you're getting this kind of pressure, you got to get the ball out. You got to get it out fast. And if there, if guys aren't open, if he's not looking, if he's not, uh, you know, getting the ball, looking up and making a throw, I mean, that's what's made Tom Brady such a great quarterback. He's getting it out in less than two seconds. Yeah. You know, that, that's not, that's not happening. You know, I think I think during his uh, autopsy of the Cowboys, which went on basically all game, Aikman even mentioned. I think it was Aikman who mentioned it that that he was holding the, uh, the ball too long. Dak was holding the ball too long. And, and, and he was. Now, they, and that was part of the plan, too. It's, uh, now, a, a lot of this came down to execution. Like, this is not to take any good thing away from what Garrett and the coaching staff didn't do. But the plan going in was, look, we're going to have to make quicker throws here. We're, we know Chaz Green can't protect as long. But they, of course, what we found out was he couldn't protect at all. But, you know, they went in knowing, look, Jazz Cream can't protect as long. We're going to have our backs maybe stay in a little bit longer and chip here and there. But Dak is going to have to get rid of the ball quickly. He's going to have to throw a little bit quicker than he normally does. And I don't know that anyone was open for him to get the ball to. They feel that could he have thrown it quicker in some situations? Yes. But they don't look, uh, from the people I talked to, they don't look at what happened uh, Sunday is a, a failure of Dak Prescott not to execute what they wanted to execute. They felt it was, one, he didn't have the time, and two, uh, he didn't have the option to throw to anyone quickly enough because they didn't get open quickly enough. And, and the other thing that happens is, too, is you, you can say throw quicker, but when a team is putting that kind of pressure on your quarterback, every single snap, the defense moves up uh, because they know – uh, the quarterback's not going to have time to throw. They know uh, that, you know, Claiborne or someone else is going to get in there and if not sack and at least impact uh, how quickly he throws it. So that brings the whole defense up, and, and it, it is more clutter and more traffic to, to work those short routes, and it is a little harder to come open. And that's where you need guys running precise routes. And pre- short, precise routes, I don't know that that has ever been considered as Bryant's strength. No. So let's look over on the other side of the ball. You know, we've we talked about the the side of the ball where that is supposed to be the Cowboys' strength. And the, you know, the offense has been built because it's supposed to help the defense because they're going to run the ball, they're going to use up the clock, they're going to keep the, the the guys on defense fresh, and because Rod Marinelli 
uh, get so much out of these guys and they play with such high motors that it's hard for them to stay on the field for very long. So when the game started uh, and Sean Lee was out there, it's looking pretty good. And then as soon as Sean Lee disappears, the defense just falls apart. Uh, and, and I wonder if, you know, we always like to characterize these things. Who has the biggest impact on this team? And in that game, that was the question that was going up on Twitter constantly. Was the, is it the loss of Zeke? Is it the loss of Tyron Smith? Is it the loss of Sean Lee? Is it the loss of Dan Bailey? If I'm rating them right now in that game, I, I'd say Tyron Smith is number one, Sean Lee's number two. Correct. What, what, what would you say, David? Well, based on the uh, halftime poll I put out on Twitter, uh, that goes right in line with that. Um, I, I think Tyron Smith was the biggest loss in this game uh, on Sunday uh, with, with what Atlanta did to them because Chaz Green made it impossible for them to run any semblance of their offense. They couldn't get anything to work because they had no chance in the passing game which means they could shut down, you know, clamp down on the running game even more. So that had the largest impact. But the, but the second was Sean Lee. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You just look at the numbers. Um, you know, he missed going into this game. They were 5-1 and one in games he played and 0-2 and in games he didn't. And in the two games he didn't play, they allowed 35 points. In the games he did play, they were allowing 18. That's in the games he in the games he didn't play, they were allowing 164, an average of 164 yards on the ground. In the games he did play, they were averaging, allowing an average of 80.3 yards on the ground. Uh, you know, Atlanta wound up with 130 in this game. So, so you look at it overall, uh, teams, uh, when Sean Lee's not on the field from start to finish, are rushing for around 140 yards a game. Right. Uh, or 60 yards a game more than when he plays. Now, I, I will cut. I will cut the coaching staff a little bit of latitude on that because when you go into a game and you lose one of your key players to execute your defensive plan during the game, I think it's very difficult to adapt and react to that. See, I, I think it's much different them not reacting to Sean Lee going out during the game than their reaction when they had an entire week to plan without Tyron Smith and what they were going to do with Chaz Green. David, may I, be- uh, may I beg to differ with you on this? May I, sure. may I, my, only, only because Sean Lee has proven to be, I hate to use this word, but injury-prone or so fragile. Don't you almost have to game plan, even when, he, when he's out there, to think, what do we do, what's going to happen if and when Sean gets hurt? when the injuries occurred, what has he missed over the last two years? I mean, they held him out of, of one game last year at the end just so they, nothing would happen. I think he's only missed one game where he was injured in the last two seasons. So you could also say, well, look, he's kind of worked his way past that. But, but I mean, you are right. As soon as you see another injury, uh, you go, okay, uh, here we go again. And this is the second time this year. I mean, he did miss the two games uh, with the hamstring injury earlier. But the way he played in the three games when he came back, was there anything that, that indicated to you that, you know, well, we need to be careful here? Um, there wasn't. So I think you kind of have to take him as is. Now, now, this gets back into how the team's constructed. You spend all your money on offense and, and spend as little as you can on, on defense. You're not going to have quality backup players on defense when your key guys go out. Uh, and, and here's the other one. 
Uh, you went with Jalen Smith to, to plug in there at that. Uh, you were willing to take a redshirt year with him. You took him in the second round when you knew he couldn't play last year. Now he comes back and plays this year, and he's, he's not playing to the level that he was in college because he missed a year and is coming back off a major injury. So you leave yourself short at linebacker when Sean Lee goes out, which they've, which they've done again. Uh, but during the game, I don't know. I mean, what they did was they put Jalen Smith in there, and he did not perform. Uh, so now I think you – but you know Sean Lee's going to be out for three games here, it looks like. So you step back and you go, okay, our run defense can't be this bad. What adjustments are we going to make? And in my mind, the adjustment's going to be that we're going to keep – we're going to actually activate Justin Duran, a veteran linebacker who's very good but has injury history of his own. As well, yeah. Uh, we're going to put him in there, and uh, we're going to use Jalen Smith in a more limited role. You know, I think Anthony Hitchens played an outstanding game uh, against Atlanta, but he was one of the few on the defensive side of the ball who can say that. Uh, but I think you're going to see Justin Duran in there, and you'll see Jalen Smith in a limited role. But but then you can say, okay, uh, but yeah, Justin Duran gets hurt all the time too. Well, you know what? That's the decision they made. If you want to back up a linebacker who has an injury history, with another veteran who has an injury history, with another linebacker who just missed a year off a significant injury uh, that was career-threatening. If you want to have three guys with that injury history at that position, well, you're going to have to deal with the consequences if they get injured, and that's what they've done. And that's, uh, and that's the point for me when you, when you talked about the fact that these, uh, the, the decisions were made by the coaching staff uh, that caused the problem on the offensive side. It's the decisions made by the GM on the, on the defensive side, and and you know we we question that. Who's the GM? Uh, that would be uh, Jerry Jones. the the uh, The decision to to draft uh, Jalen Smith, of course, was was controversial because it was a second round picker using on a guy who couldn't play, and you're you weren't really in a position as the GM of the Cowboys to say, you know what, we're good enough that we can make this uh, this luxury pick here in the second round. Um, and then, and then when he came back this year, and oh, all we heard was about how great he was. Oh my gosh, he's just, he's just, he's just going to be terrific. And and we were always, all of us were trying to tap the brakes on this kind of thing. Why don't you just let the guy try to come back and let's see what he does? And now what's happened is, is that it's it's everything that everybody thought it was going to be that was being rational about this. And I'm wondering now, David, looking back on all that, how much of what the Cowboys said was trying to make Jalen feel good about himself and how much of it was and trying to make themselves feel good make, about make, themselves. make them feel good about themselves and how much of it was they were clearly this off about how how ready he was to play well a lot of this was was motivational uh, I mean they were very impressed with how he'd come back this was a devastating injury um, his his attitude uh, really from from talking to other people around there uh, was phenomenal uh, compared to other players coming back off of significant injuries. Uh, just how hard he worked, uh, how positive he was, how he can let uh, the normal uh, frustrations of rehab, uh, he was able to fight through those and, and not let it impact him. Uh, I think they all gained a lot of admiration and respect for him coming back. Uh, we're so impressed with how far he came. Uh, it was okay. I mean, you know, We've seen him fight these odds to get back here. We saw what kind of player he was in college. Of course he's going to be this. I, I think they got caught up a little bit too much in their own hype. I mean, I think some of it was motivational, but I think they got swept up in the emotion of it 
rather than stepping back and looking at it rationally that this well you know this is this really is very admirable and and uh, pretty impressive how far and how he's uh, t- you know right and you know tackled this rehab and, and how much he's done in it but that's a long way from saying he's going to be the same player he was at Notre Dame. Let's tap the brakes on that. Uh, they, they missed the tap the brakes stage and just ran the stoplight. And uh, so I, I think now all of this being said, they were forced to use him and expose him early in the season when they didn't want to. If Anthony Hitchens would have been healthy, he would have been playing, um, you know, 15 to 18 snaps in the first month of the season, not 55 to 59 snaps like he was doing. And they just kind of threw him in there. He got overexposed. And then suddenly the inspirational story is, well, yeah, but look at how he's playing. And and you saw it again in this game. You know, when, when he went back, when Sean Lee came back, when Anthony Hitchens was healthy, he was playing 15 to 18 snaps a game. He was getting some good rushes on the quarterback. You, you actually noticed him making plays in games on that limited basis. Now suddenly Sean Lee's out again, and it's like, oh, okay, he's, he's overexposed. So he played too much early because Hitchens was out. He played too much when Lee was out in, in the Green Bay uh, in the Rams game. And then I think they used him just about the way you should, but now Sean Lee's hurt again. And, and I think, But I think this time they're going to say, okay, no, we, we've seen enough here. Uh, we're going to have to go with Justin Durant here. We're going to have to do something different with our safeties and still use Jalen Smith in a limited basis. We're not going to put him in there to play 55 to 60 snaps a game. David, certainly the Cowboys game, the Sunday night game coming up against the uh, Eagles, won't be as ugly as we're thinking, will it? Yeah, I was going to say. What because would you say that? I don't know because because when the hottest team in the NFL. But sometimes when you anticipate the blowout, the Cowboys. So you're just you're just this. This is like Tim's column the other day was the the Super Bowl curse, which didn't exactly work out. No, uh, but I, I'm I'm just the, for the Cowboys. I, I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking. Well, I always applaud any time we can throw Tim under the bus. Can, can you, <laughs> Tim Collishaw, under the bus? So I, I'm I'm just thinking. You know, we're going to get excited. It's going to be a national television game. It'll be the highest. So far, the Cowboys-Giants is the highest-rated Sunday night game. I think this has potential to be rated as high. Even if the Cowboys are blown out, people will be watching across the country just to see the Cowboys blown out and maybe to see a little of the uh, AT&T Stadium art uh, thrown in during the game. But is is there any – can you give our listeners any – semblance of hope for this game coming up Sunday night? For a victory for the Cowboys? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be a horrible game. I, I don't know that they will be dominated to the extent that they were in the second half of the Atlanta game. I mean, I do agree. I mean, it's a division game, so you have that. You have teams who have quality players traditionally respond after coming off poor performances. Uh, I, I think this team will respond, although it has some key players that won't be there in order to respond, which is going to hurt. Uh, it's at home, and, and look, as, as far as as far as far Dallas winning the division, uh, this is their last stand. I mean, they're three games back now. Uh, if they lose to Philadelphia, they're four games back with six left. Um, you know, this, this, this is a huge swing game for them as far as their playoff aspirations. Uh, certainly, if they have any uh, division aspirations, 
positions. I mean, you can't go to four back. There's a big difference in four back and two back. So I think, I think all of the emotional factors and the desperation factor certainly line up with the Cowboys. And the fact you, you put that at home, I, I, think they're, uh, I think there's a lot going for them for that. I just don't know that, that they have uh, healthy enough personnel at this point to carry it all. So I, I think it's going to be a, 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 an interesting and, and largely competitive game for most of the game, but, but I don't know that, that they have what it takes right now in order to be Philadelphia. Once again, you've echoed a lot. I know, And I know you didn't hear Troy Aikman say this during the game because you were at the game watching, but Aikman said, said that as well. But he, he also brought up another issue that I'd like to get your thought on. Um, maybe Zeke should have taken the suspension coming out of the gate rather than now. And you know, when I wrote that, you didn't bring that up. You you wrote that a couple of weeks That's because ago. Because you wrote that. You wrote yeah, that. Yeah, because yeah, Barry's not reading the paper. I'm reading the paper. I read the paper oh, meticulously yeah, every no, day. Okay. Yeah. Did they bury the column in the paper? Yeah. No. No. I don't think so. They buried it on one A. Yeah. No. No. But but. Uh, but but maybe Aikman. Okay, let's say let's take that. Oh yeah, Aikman, a- Aikman yeah. read the paper. He read what Kevin said, and then he borrowed it. How uh, much? How, but the the point is about that is that how much worse off would they have been? They wouldn't have been any worse. It wouldn't off. have been any worse off, right? It's not like they went off to a great start in any way. Right. So I just wanted to get David's thought on that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, David. Well, they were three. Oh, well, thank you. They were uh, well. They were three and three. Right. Six game suspension. Right. Six games. They were three and three to start this season. When you look at the games and how they unfolded, I believe you can make a very strong argument they would have been three and three without Elliott. Um, I, and I, really looking at it, I'm not. I don't know that you can make a strong argument that they would have been two and four without Elliott. I, I think they would have been would have had the same record after six. So, given the hindsight of it, you go, well, you know, the, the way this team. Uh, now look, the the Green Bay and Rams losses. Uh, they would have been more. They wouldn't have been thirty-five, thirty-one. They right. May have been, they may have been forty-two to twenty. Right. And then suddenly, what does that do you, to your confidence going forward? But but then you have this jolt of of energy and confidence coming back in Ezekiel Elliott. So I think you could have. I think I think the losses to Green Bay and the Rams would have been worse. But I think it all would have been wiped away uh, with, with Elliott coming back. So. For the standpoint of the Cowboys' season and the way this is unfolding, there is no question whatsoever it would have made more sense for him to just accept this from the start. But what his side was trying to do and what the Cowboys were trying to do, uh, who fully supported this, they were trying to push this into the offseason to keep him on the field for the entire year. Sure. So this is another, you know, much like we're talking about, um, you know, the strategic decisions that, that uh, uh, Garrett makes or doesn't make during a game, uh, this was a strategic decision that Cowboys ownership and management made, which was, look, we're going to fully support him in this fight. We're not going to work behind the scenes to, to get these two sides to settle or say, well, why don't you go ahead and take it, and then we'll just move on. It was, no, let's fight this tooth and nail. We're going to push this into the off season, and we're going to fight it some more. Uh, they lost the fight. Now they have to deal with the consequences. Could they have worked behind the scenes to get this reduced from from six games? Say, you know, take your medicine. It would have been four games at the beginning of the season. 
Well, my understanding was that, that periodically throughout this process, there were discussions uh, behind the scenes to reach some sort of settlement, to see if a settlement could be reached. Uh, now, what happened was, and, and look, the, the most fertile ground to have that was after, was, was four games in on this thing, or, or three games in after uh, Paul Crotty in New York basically issued a stay for two games but said, you know, I'm just not going to hear this because the judge who's supposed to hear this is on vacation. Uh, that was the one point where, at that point, both sides had suffered key losses. You had a period there of, of 10 days where you were waiting for the other judge to come in and rule. At that point, I think, was the most likely point for the two sides to, to come to some sort of settlement if, if one was going to be made because you really – you know, both sides felt good about their chances, but no one really knew which way it was going to go for sure. Uh, and my understanding was there were discussions, uh, back-channel discussions going on at that time. There, there were after every court case along the way, but what I was told was whoever won that court case was overly confident, and while they were willing to make a settlement, it was all on their terms. So, you know, after, after Elliot's side wins one well why would i go only go down to four games or, or three games i want to go down to one or two games uh then his side loses and and they go maybe they're a little more receptive to doing something the nfl is going but why would i go down to, to two games or three games now oh uh, you know four at the minimum and, and i'm i'm just throwing out numbers I, but i think i don't think the nfl was ever really willing to move much more beyond four and i don't think that his side was ever really willing to move much beyond two uh so there was just too large of a gap to overcome david we're getting close to the end here but i wanted to uh, ask you about this because the end of the podcast or just the end of the end that could be either way you never (laughs) can i just want to make sure can't tell around here uh talking about jerry jones you know my biggest complaint about jerry has always been that he's such an optimistic guy and i know that sounds like a terrible thing to say about somebody but it does but when you do business you have to prepare for the worst. You have to hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And Jerry, in my mind, has very rarely done that in his time with the Cowboys. He is, you know, Jalen Smith is a perfect example of, of that again. Once again, hey, let's just look on the bright side and let's just think this is going to work out really well. And But now I think what we're seeing happen is, is we see these headlines and things that are happening with other owners and his, and uh, and the rift now between him and uh, and the rest, Arthur Blank in particular, of uh, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, has that, uh, hoping for the best, has that kind of metastasized into arrogance that uh, that what I, if I want it, then everybody else should want it too? Well, yeah, I think uh, going through the life, going through life with an optimistic outlook is a great way to do it individually, but I don't know that it's a sound, solid managerial style, you know, for your business. And, right. and there's a difference there. And um, I don't know that his optimism has necessarily metastasized into arrogance. I think the arrogance has always been there. I, I think there's been the arrogance of, you know, I've studied this, I've, I've built consensus, uh, I listen to everybody. But now I've reached this decision, and you should want to go along with me because of the force of my personality and because look how much money I've made. That means I'm usually right on these things. So now the difference when you're in a room full of owners, all these other owners have similar attitudes. Right. Um, 
and now in the past, Jerry has brought them to the table, but it's come up, it's come about getting them more money. Right. Um, and he has uh, done that. And he has done that. Now the issues this year are uh, public relations and, and being on the right side of history, if you will, with the anthem. And uh, now it's not about um, making money necessarily; it's about saving money uh, with the commissioner's contract and, and holding. Uh, you know, just reminding him that this is an employer-employee relationship. So this is this isn't the uh, the grand battle in my mind that Jerry Jones was having with the owners earlier about where the business was going to go. Uh, these have devolved into different sort of uh, disputes. So I, I think you put these, what's going on with Jerry this year in a different class than what you had when he was saying, well, no, uh, why don't we go to Fox? Uh, that right. was visionary. I, I don't know that we have here as visionary. What we have here is more uh, managerial in, in some aspects, Gee. you know. So it's uh, to, to me, to me, they're different. But yeah, I think there's certainly a pushback now of saying, Jerry, we know you're the only owner, living owner, with a gold jacket. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can tell that you know more about how we should do business than we do, and and we're, we don't agree with you on this, and we're not going to go along with it. That's that's exactly the question I was going to ask. Do you think that Jerry would be doing this if he is was not in the Hall of Fame already? If he was going to be a candidate this year or next year do you think that has any do you think jerry now feels bulletproof i've got everything i want the only thing i really want now is is a super bowl uh that that's that that's it he also doesn't want to pay the commissioner 50 million a year uh i, I think that's a if he if, if, if yeah you know what oh, yeah, look I, I think i think the commissioner i think the commissioner look my, my understanding is, is that jerry was telling people back in January and February that, you know what, that this is the time, this is, look, all of these guys are very much, this is the time to remind Roger Goodell, he works for us, we don't work for him. This was about getting across the employer-employee relationship and that, you know what, we appreciate all you've done, we've given you a lot of latitude, but you work for us, it's not the other way around. You don't dictate to us what you want. Uh, we grant you what you want. So I, I think that was a, a power struggle, if you will, but it was also, again, just reminding what the relationships are. And, and Jerry felt that before Ezekiel Elliott was suspended. Now, I think it's naive to say once Ezekiel Elliott was suspended that it wasn't easier for him to double down on those emotions and go all in and say, look, there's no way we can continue to do this with Goodell. Uh, certainly that played a role, but I don't think it's the only thing. And I, I think these thoughts were in Jerry's mind before that. Uh, but yeah, this is a, uh, these are different battles in my mind that Jerry's having with the owners right now than what he had earlier in his career. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. David, it's been great having you on once again to, to straighten out Barry uh, on these, uh, on these questions. I hope you noticed that Evan Grant wasn't with us today. I was going to say he was unusually quiet. I doubted that he could have made it this long without saying something. Well, he he's at the uh, GM meetings, and we're going to do. We have a podcast with Evan Grant. We haven't done it yet. Uh, we'll be doing that with Evan Grant, and we had a terrific, sensational college football podcast. Not that this one wasn't terrific and sensational. Yeah, not, I, not that this wasn't good, but yeah, yeah, yeah with with Barry Trammell of the Daily Oklahoman or the Oklahoman now is it just the Oklahoman the Oklahoman yeah. newspaper talking about. Uh, Sooner football and Baker Mayfield's Heisman Trophy uh, chances, which uh, I, th- I think Barry and, and Kevin would just 
give him the Heisman Trophy right now. We can give it to him, but he's pretty close. So is so would Vegas. One tw- David, as Barry pointed out to us, that, uh, Barry Trammell pointed out to us, that yeah, you well, got to. It, you... it had to be another Barry. Oh my know. gosh! No, what was it? Was it's one and tw- was it? Is it one and tw- one to twenty? Are the odds of him winning the the, the Heisman and that you would have to to get? Let's it. let's hear. Don't help him. Don't let let's I don't hear even know if I can do this. this. I don't even know if I can do this. What did he say? It was like you, you would have to bet a hundred dollars to win five dollars. Yeah. So it's one to twenty. How about that? For him to win the Heisman Trophy. That's kind of what my financial career has been like. I have to put that <laughs> money in in order to get $5 to $10 back. Yeah, like getting, you're right. Like all of us. David, thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to having you on many, many, many more times. In fact, you know. No matter uh, how bad the Cowboys play. Yeah, because uh, there's, there's, there's many, many more. Many, many, many more. You, yeah. Did you think about naming uh, your daughter Many, Many, and she could have been Many, Many More? <laughs> no. no. I like uh, that. You didn't think like about that. Luckily, we still have, yeah. have a good relationship in part because we didn't do that. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. I'm not going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving yet because hopefully we'll have you on next Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and then we'll wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Well, that sounds wonderful. Thanks, David. Thank you, guys. There he goes. David Moore. Talking about those Cowboys, um, you know, it's uh, it's an amazing thing. We didn't even talk about this. Against Kansas City, just a week before. Just a week, yeah. It, it was the best game they played all year. And everybody's they, so happy. They and, looked terrific in that yes. game. Offense, defense. It was the best game they played. I thought it was the best game they played in a couple of years. Oh, it was, yeah. It, against a good team. Against a quality team. A uh, team you could argue is better than – could have been. Of course, you know? they were, they, they've struggled a little bit. Like they had a fast. Start. They were home too. And, and I think that that matters. Oh sure, sure it does in the NFL. And then, of course, that's what everybody says. The NFL is a week to week league. Weird things happen from week to week. But to go, for, you know, when you lose guys of that caliber, when you lose, you know, Sean Lee, and you lose Tyron Smith, and you lose Dan Bailey. Really, if there if there's a to me, I guess you put Dan Bailey off of that. Zeke Elliott. I put him up there, number four. So let me ask you this: I want I want to ask you this. I wanted to ask David that, that too. Maybe we, we can ask him some. If you had a cowboy, a present Cowboys, uh, Mount Rushmore, yeah, who are you for on the on well, the Mount that's Rushmore? We were just saying. So that that'd be your four: Dak, uh, Tyron Smith, not in this order, but Dak, Tyron Smith, Sean Lee, Zigello. Yeah, those four. I you know I don't know how I, far would you have to go? How, how many faces would you have to put on that Mount Rushmore to get Des Bryant up there? Oh, six or eight. I mean, look, because after that, then you could say Zach. Should Zach Martin be on there instead of Zeke? How about almost. Dan Bailey? Well, Dan Bailey is he's, he's as good at his position as anybody on the team. Uh, and Travis Frederick, you know. Um, you know, on defense, defense right now. What about Tyrone? I mean, what he's doing what right about, now, Tyrone Crawford. What about Demarcus is a, Lawrence? Is great. I mean, right I mean, now, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Tyrone Crawford. I was, Tyrone I was, tra- I was trying to be well polite. Too. I was trying to be polite. Tyrone not Crawford playing very well too. But I was trying to be polite. Oh, you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence has, has been their most. You would have crucified me if I do- had done that. No. Yes, you would. Demarcus Lawrence has been their most valuable player on defense. I mean, he's been terrific. Uh, you know, and I say that because Sean Lee. Is not always on the field, you know, as, as we know. Right. So he is the best. He's the heart of that defense. There's no question about it. He's the, certainly the brains of that defense. There's no question about that either. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I probably get down to ten players before I get to Des Bryant now. I'm looking at my phone. I have a text here from Evan Grant. He goes, 
What's up? What's I, up? I think that means he wants us to get to Evan, to get to him. Oh, sure, because he's ready to On talk. the Evan Grant Rangers podcast. That's what, that's what we should call it. It's not the Ballsy Baseball podcast. It's the Evan Grant. I'm Evan Grant. You're not on the Texas Rangers podcast. <laughs> yes, that's it. So then I guess we should say goodbye. We'll say goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.